0: Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. This is episode 106. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So, Otterites, this week is a history episode. And as you know, for 2021, we're focusing on World War II and the battles. W-2. And um, we're focusing on what we feel are the battles that made the decision. There's a lot of battles, of course, you could talk about in World War II. But, you know, we started with the Battle of the Atlantic, kept the Brits in the war. We moved on to the Pacific Campaign and discussed Midway and the Solomon Islands and that Battle of Attrition in the Solomons. Then uh, we moved on to Stalingrad uh, and, and that Stalingrad really destroyed the veteran uh elements of the wehrmacht yep on the eastern front so this time is the capper endgame normandy mm-hmm. uh the the battle for uh the western front um the the invasion of atlantic the crusade to free um the continent of europe right and this is you
1: know one thing about the, we think about Europe and all the battles are going on because you know we've already had the invasion of Sicily and Italy. Italy is knocked out of the war by now and that's no small thing that we mm-hmm. very easily could have done a big deal on on that because a lot of that is preparation uh, for Normandy. Yeah. they learned a lot about what needed going to Normandy by those earlier campaigns.
0: yeah I mean there are uh, at least three, amphibious operations that you just talked about. Africa is Operation Torch. Yes. Then the invasion of Sicily. Yep. And then Anzio and the Anzio beachhead and the invasion uh, of um, mainland Italy. Um, that could easily have gone an episode. Why did not we doing one of those? It seemed like that
2: would have been a good Well, one. we only had so many slots. True, true. true.
0: Well, and again, uh, as much as Churchill wanted those battles and he thought that was the soft underbelly, uh they really they weren't the decision makers right well they and, mattered and geographically they the decision makers it's
1: hard to invade europe from italy because of uh the alps the alps yeah and, and having to get past that that's yeah. that's a nearly insurmountable barrier you almost cannot do it. it's like trying to invade europe from spain you got to get past the pyrenees
2: mm-hmm. uh, and it's yeah. Hannibal being one of the few exceptions, and the what well, was nearly disastrous. Well, anyway. exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, they lost a, a ton. Uh, there's lots of records on that. We should up, we should do a Hannibal episode, but that's that's really here <laughs> so was down the road. Yes, down the road. Yeah. Skip a bit, brother, as yes, they say. S- skip a bit. Yes. So
1: you know, I, I just think one of the things that it was fascinating about leading up to this was all of the the preparations and decisions. You know, you're talking about <laughs> Churchill um, and talking about that as a soft underbelly. You know, he had resisted opening up a front in France because the Soviets wanted to open up a second front in, in yes. Europe because they needed relief. Yeah, But Churchill's like, are you nuts? We're not ready. We are not ready. We're not ready. We got our asses kicked in, in you know at the end of 1940, not even the end, the middle of 1940. And then you have the Battle of Britain for air superiority. That's got to take time to get through because you can't invade the continent without air superiority.
0: And you also have to wait for us to get over there. Yes you know, And that's no small feat And, and, and Churchill had advisors telling him uh, Even with the Americans We're not ready yet We right. can't do it We can't do it um, So you, you guys are doing a great job Of course of setting up the situation But um, Again Now that uh, Germany is surrounded by enemies The thing they feared The two front war right. Just like in World War One. Yep, was
2: It was inevitable but it was always a question of when. When. And that was the issue. Well,
1: and who's involved, too. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I think taking Italy out, even though nobody really considers Italy a major threat uh, during this time, taking out, uh, and even though you've got uh, the Alps between Italy and the rest of Europe, taking out that ally to the south was huge. It basically puts Germany alone.
0: Yes. And, of course, they they feel vulnerable on that southern flank, so yes. they are pouring resources into Italy to hold off the Allies, right? Because you know, even so though I don't think, power drain,
1: right? I, even though we probably never really seriously considered coming up through the Alps because of the logistical nightmare, you still have to guard against that possibility, you know? Because uh, very easily we could have uh, put small forces in through there to cause have, you know, cause all kinds of trouble.
2: You know, it's distractions. You bring, you bring that up. That was. In many respects, the whole core of the pre-invasion was about that distraction, yes. distraction, and and, and mis- misinformation, and divide, making sure that they never really knew just exactly what was going to happen. Right, they knew that was cr- the deception factor was critical. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, Patton was the, you know, the obvious example. That's why he was pulled out. Of course, they didn't tell him that. But <laughs> um, Yeah,
0: and I want to hit all of that, too. That's That was called Operation Fortitude. A lot of these deceptions and the fake camps and the, and the fake uh, marshalling areas and staging yeah, landing areas in Britain. Landing
2: craft that, that didn't exist, rubber tanks, that, you know, so they could be seen from the shore, all sorts of stuff. The radio
1: traffic and everything. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, what went into the deception is nearly as big as what went into the invasion. Yeah. And as we talked about the other night on our pre-show prep, show prep, <laughs> uh, you know, the fact that the U.S. and the Allies had broken the, the German codes. It was really the British and the Allies that broke the German codes. Yeah. Um, broke the enigma. It broke the enigma. Uh, and then, you know, the U.S. in, in the, the Pacific War cannot be underestimated, that tactical advantage, because our enemies never broke our codes uh, not in any serious
2: yeah. way. Yeah, that's, and that's almost incredible because they yeah. had a lot of talent.
0: Yeah, but, but the, the Brits, even better, uh, they essentially turned every German agent in Britain. Yes. And turned them into double agents without the Germans knowing. So the Germans got fed tons of garbage uh, from double agents. They they really thought they had Britain penetrated with, with spies. And the Brits had all of them, all of them turned, every single one. And that's no so small feat either. Yeah, it was huge. But that's you know that's the situation. Um, the Allies are, are now together. American power is being brought to bear. Stalin uh, has destroyed um, this veteran formation in, of the Wehrmacht at Stalingrad. He's moving uh, towards uh, Germany. Um, Italy is embroiled and knocked out of the war. Mussolini is uh about to get hung and from a lamppost. You know, and, and and not
2: well, let's be clear. Yes. Oh yes. yes. I'm sorry. It was there. I had to use it. Well I
0: think that's the first sexual innuendo you've ever injected it into an episode. Right, it's it's just, it. That just that's usually Robert me. and I's uh, job. But it just it. kinda happened, guys. Well, no, well, done. well yeah. Teed it up and hit it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that by my box. that's right. Uh, and so, and, and Africa's been knocked out now, and, and all the German forces have had to uh, retire back into Europe, and we're staging in Britain.
1: And, you know, that sounds like, oh my gosh, this is inevitable, they're going to lose. But, you know, that's still not inevitable. No. They're still a large professional army. They're not as good as and experienced as they were prior to, to Stalingrad, uh, but... They still have a lot of men and material, and the the problem when you uh, surround somebody is you tighten their supply lines uh, and lengthen yours, oh, and so yes. it makes it easier to move men around. Theoretically, assuming you wake up your leader to to, <laughs> to approve it, but you know. Uh, so it gives them some advantages to offset the disadvantages yes. uh, from being squeezed back. Yes. So it's, it's no mean, it's
0: not a definite that they were going to lose. You've got a real key piece right there, too, in that, yes, we could invade France, maybe, but the Dieppe raid has already shown the difficulty of raiding a French port and trying to invade at a spot um where you can then bring your supplies in
1: right I was reading about that um this morning um that basically convinced them we are not invading at a port we can't do a port yeah they'll, they'll it's too us. well defended it's yes. too well uh, manned it's it's just not possible and or it's not as like it's ha- well, well, happening happened cost
2: would be uh, would, would too far high. Outweigh yeah, oh, it. Too high. and that was part of the thing is you know could they do things sure but you know they have to have a reasonable uh, chance of, of strategic success
0: and of course the brits do not want to get into another Somme, Passchendaele, absolutely right. slaughter yeah. disaster well
2: you know i'm glad you brought that up too because the lessons learned in world war 1 are critical here yeah. uh, uh that Church- di-
0: churchill knows we he didn't can't do, do that.
2: things that conventional wisdom even 20 years earlier would have demanded yeah, we yeah. we recognized. I mean, World War One changed everything, but that's one of my <laughs>
0: outlooks on life. Yes. Well, but the, the uh, even Cherbourg in the Normandy area, uh, a port that they wanted to take,
2: they hev- needed that. They port. needed it. It's yeah. heavily
0: defended. It's a deep water port that they have to have. And they knew the Germans. Even if the Germans couldn't hold it, they would simply destroy it, which they end up doing. Right. So that's going to be the thing. Yes, we can get a a, a beachhead. We can we can start an invasion. But changed. how do we stay? Yeah. How
2: do we stay? Exactly. And move forward.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Because you have to bring everything with you.
0: Everything. you know, it's not
1: like, you know, when, when Germany is doing all of its invading in the early parts of the, the war, they are, they're doing it across land. They don't have to, to go, I mean, other than uh, Africa, which, you know, they can, since Italy already has a, a beachhead there, that's not even the same situation. Because uh, Italy's in Africa way before the beginning of World War II. So, germany never has to worry about how to get their men and material where they need to go and when you have to invade a continent across the channel or across the ocean it is it's a huge huge thing because you literally have to bring everything your bullets your food the men the tents uh even you know the tents and the typewriters for the staff to <laughs> to you know Do all the orders and all the other stuff. I mean, the administrative stuff. Everything comes with you. Yeah, the
0: gasoline. Gasoline that became the thing becomes critical. Yes, gasoline. So that leads to the technical innovation of the Mulberry Harbor. Yes, where they they not only brought everything, they brought the harbors with them too. You know, that's a uh, I think one of the things that
1: cannot be underestimated about the preparation for this. You know, it was only a year in the making which is astounding (laughs) when you think about the scope of this. I am just flabbergasted because they didn't have computers to help them organize this stuff. This is all paper, you know. Yeah, it's manual.
0: Uh, It's all manuals.
1: And they had to invent so much.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and they had to build so much. One of the reasons that uh, it even happens in June is they had to delay a month because they needed more landing craft to be available to get all. And it, it started out... They wanted to go with three divisions from the americans and you know two from the brits and her allies and that was going to be the invade. that was the initial starting point and very quickly like, you know maybe we need like five from here and th- but we ended up with like a hundred <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it kept getting expanded in the midst of all that they still managed to, to to pull it off in a year but they had to
0: invent and build so much of it in that year yeah they put a hundred and sixty thousand men and their equipment, tanks and everything, ashore on the first day. That's ungodly, without I mean, that's just yeah, unbelievable, without the internet, <laughs> <Yeah>. or GPS <laughs> or GPS yeah, right. or anything, maps, yeah. yeah, paper maps and and a compass and you know the there are five beaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Brits were assigned uh, what were called uh, gold and sword. The Canadian troops were assigned Juneau, and U.S. troops assigned uh, Omaha and Utah. And and four out of those five beaches, things went okay. Omaha Beach got a mess, uh, turned into a mess. Uh, They landed kind of in the wrong spot and really ran into a ton of resistance, but it still worked. Even after all that planning went bad... No plan survives contact with the enemy. Or, you know... Everybody got planned to get punched in the mouth. That's Mike right, Tyson. <laughs> they were resilient and figured it out, and still got ashore. And that's one of the things that
1: that hallmark, I think, is what delivers the ultimate victory in World War II. Uh, I think the U.S. and our allies were far better at the improvisation than the Axis powers. Yeah, oh. either because it's not their culture. Like in Japan. It's a Japan,
2: lot of it. yeah.
1: Or they're too afraid to in Germany.
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't think that can be underestimated either.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, we trusted our people on the ground to do what was. Again, that's another lesson from World War I. We had to trust the men on the ground <laughs> to make the tactical decisions in the scope of the strategic plan. And that's how it works now. Yeah. That is doctrine now.
2: Yeah. The authoritarian model was a German. It was just almost built into their dna you know it's it's all top down everything's top down and that ultimately proved a fatal flaw
0: yeah well and they they pulled a bottom block and put it on top Mm -hmm. and hitler again someone who does not trust his generals because he was a corporal and he felt the generals were the ones who screwed everything up and he's not entirely wrong with that um but he has professional soldiers telling him things and he decides, nope, we're going to do it my way. Um, and that's he believed
1: huge, his own press. <laughs> yeah, it,
0: it's a huge part of, of all of this. Uh, it's exaggerated some in some of the films, like The Longest Day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, oh, we can't wake the fury. Took a sleeping pill, that kind of thing. But they really, they didn't tell him because just afraid of of him blowing up at them. Right. And at that point in the war, you'd get shot. You know, I mean, um, and there's a doctrinal, um, problem as well amongst the generals that Hitler doesn't really settle. And that's, you know, Rommel wants to take the panzer divisions and put them close, uh, put them there and drive the allies off the beach from the start. But the other generals, their doctrine, um, is no that makes the tanks too vulnerable. Let's hold them in reserve till we figure out where the invasion is coming, and then yeah. we'll we'll move them in place.
1: Honestly, you know, given the deception that was going on, I honestly think Rommel was wrong in that, unless he chose the right spot. because yes. you know, if he chooses Calais, where they think it's going to come, it's just as bad as leaving them everything you know, hundred miles from. The, the coast and then bringing them in later because yeah. Yeah. they've already got the foothold by the time you get them from Calais right. to Normandy.
2: That's yeah. why the deception was so critical to the yeah. success of this. So in a
0: way, they're right, but you still have to concentrate them someplace. Oh, someplace to and, use them. And the movement uh, here's you know where I think Rommel had a had something right is you don't have superiority in the air. The Luftwaffe yes. is destroyed, essentially broken. The Allies have air superiority. They can patrol the channel, and anything they spot moving openly in France is a target. So the general is wanting to hold. the Right, there's no back, civilian traffic in France. Yeah, and moving them then in is very, very dangerous for them as well. Yes. So So it, it's kind of a no-win deal. It is. There's too many unknowns to, to,
1: to plan effectively. You have to rely on being lucky.
0: Yeah.
1: Which, you know, a good commander does rely on being a little lucky. Yeah. But you have to have a good plan for the luck to,
0: yeah. to act on. Yeah, you know. have a good plan and catch a break. So I think Rama could have, if he had guessed right and had them close to Normandy, he could have maybe pushed the he invasion. He could have the invasion, absolutely. Uh, pushed them off the beach. They, yeah. had
2: the, they had the manpower and the equipment and the training and the, and the professionalism to be able to do that because they were ready. But they couldn't be ready everywhere. <laughs> right. Couldn't. Well,
0: and, and Rommel didn't feel they were ready enough because he did feel like well, he they were was in charge
2: all... of that, and that's something we haven't yeah. mentioned yet. That he well, the one he's was... in
1: charge, but he's he, I think he comes to it a little bit late, doesn't he? Does he? yeah, yeah. yeah he's, correct, not, right. he's not. 100% ar- he's not one hundred percent the art. He's a good deal of the architect of the the defenses, but he's not. He's not there from the beginning because uh, he wasn't. He injured and laid up for a while prior to this. Yes, yes. So he's. Out of the war for for some time, uh, prior to this, and
0: again this convoluted command structure where he has to still report to yet someone else. Right. Uh, I think it's uh, um, was it Yodel. I think it was Alfred Yodel. Yes, yeah. not not von Kluge. um So he's and he's reporting to yet someone else who's then reporting to the Fuhrer. But Rommel feels there are o- only eighteen percent of the defenses are constructed. And he has no authority over any construction workers or equipment. There Yet. is no Supreme uh,
1: Axis commander like there is in Ike. Uh, um, so he's, he's been supreme told Allied he, he
0: can't, um, he can't, he has no authority over um, Alfred Spears' people. Um, or, Al, I'm sorry, Albert Spears' people, not Alfred. Um so he's got to employ his soldiers as construction workers and try to get these defenses built. And he, only, he claims only 18% ready. Um, so that, that's huge. Again, the, the air supremacy, huge. The Luftwaffe can't do anything in the Channel. They can't harass the invasion fleet of 5,000 ships. Uh, they can't spy on the marshalling areas in Britain. So they really are blind. They don't know what's going on. They know it's coming, but they don't know what's going on. Right. right. So, right. Did, and you know, the, the of all the
1: places that they they could have chosen, you know, Normandy's not necessarily the 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 best looking spot for landing because you know those cliffs are not. It's not like you just stroll on from the beach up into the you know to the to the rest of the the, the land. I mean, those are some some nifty cliffs there. They have to be uh, scaled. And as you said, you know, four of the five beaches went pretty pretty well. You know, there are places where they get there and there are dummy emplacements of guns. Uh, because, again, they're not ready. Uh, you know, so a little bit of deception going on on both sides. But, you know, when you're the defender, the deception, once it's discovered, makes it really bad because, you know, cause you, don't, you don't have anything to stop them there. So yeah. even if it had gone really bad at uh, entirely where if, if Omaha had totally failed, you know, the other four probably would have been enough still to, to, to make the, the invasion a success. Well, again, one reason why you split it up into five landing zones. You don't put all your eggs in one basket.
0: And as well as it did go, it still didn't go according to plan. Right. Even anywhere. The, most of the objectives were the first A objectives were not taken right. until D plus two or three. Uh, you know, very famously in the uh, the uh, Patton movies, you know, uh, the Overlord plan has a number of flaws. Chief among them is that Montgomery will never take Con on <laughs> on D plus one. he won't take Con for weeks, and of course he didn't. That's right. Um, you know, and, and one thing in, in researching this too that it's, it stood out that uh, contributions of the Canadian troops
1: mm-hmm.
0: on in Juneau Beach they were they were badasses. They were bad and uh, very effective. They they were restrained a little bit by Montgomery uh, for the Fallet Pocket. Mm-hmm. They had you know chance there. They couldn't quite close the whole grip on Fallet and that and and a huge chunk of the German forces and equipment escaped. But they still trapped fifty thousand people, which you know that's that's major. Yeah, you, know, you every for,
1: you know every time you take out a large group of, of Germans, there's just you know one more bunch of guys that can't shoot back at you and when you're the invaders that's important because uh, you know you put one guy behind uh, fortifications and he's equal to at least three of the the attackers as far you know it's from an offense defense standpoint mm-hmm. because he's got something to stand behind now granted in this kind of war it's not exactly that you know that's more of world war war civil war kind of thinking but there's still some truth to that mm-hmm. defenders have the advantage uh, when you come to fixed locations, now when you're out right. in the field, that's an entirely different thing. Tank warfare kind of evens that up, um, but um, it, it, <laughs> I don't know where it's going with that. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, there's there's just so much that you could uh, point to this. Uh, you know, Normandy is one of the great ones for the what ifs because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there's plenty of, of turning well, there's, points on uh, this. Yes, um, so, there a movie so made uh years ago i can't remember the name of it but it was basically one of those what if hitler had won world war ii or had the normandy invasion had failed was basically what it was and uh the uh it was it didn't go into a whole lot of that it was mostly the effects afterward uh but you know the europe became greater germania basically
2: yeah uh hbo did a movie fatherland yeah, this, that, that may be it. Yeah, yes, that's it. That's it. Yes, yeah, that was, uh,
1: set in nineteen sixty. Joe Kennedy Senior is the, that's the one. Uh, yes, that's the one. I believe was
2: Rutger Hauer. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. He played the main character, and it was a, it was a small scope story, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Within that universe, so it's not a. It was not intended to be. You know, here's the alternate history. It's just kind of set within. It was the yeah that was the man same. in the high castle was similar. We've done very differently. It was that was more of a sci-fi, alternate history, and um, all that sort of stuff. But uh. right, but you know,
1: it just goes to show you if if that invasion had failed, you know, they would not have been able to mount one for another one for years. Yeah, and it's likely true they probably would have had to have settled a negotiated peace. Yeah, because you know, if you have to wait another couple of years. That gives both sides, although the, the the Soviets are still coming in from the east. So, you know, maybe you can somehow join up with them, I don't know. That but may have The war in enough. the west
0: would have been over, essentially, for years. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and, and Stalin is desperate for that second front. Correct. Yes. And if
2: it fails, I'm not sure, uh, I don't know, Stalin is, with all the blood that's been lost, I'm not sure he would have ever given up. Uh, Right.
1: Well, that's the difference. Uh, I was going to mention this earlier, you know, uh, he's wanting that second front and Churchill is, is resisting it because we're not ready. Stalin, to him, the only thing, when you say you're not ready, that's not willing because he doesn't care about all the rest of stuff. He's willing to throw 10 million men at a problem and only have 1 million come out of it. To him, that's still a success as long as the
0: objective is met yes
2: Uh, the ruthlessness of stalin is not something to be underestimated
0: right yeah well certainly if if the if the invasion is a failure and stalin's still coming and the germans can then turn their focus eastward and make it a bloody mess then certainly the atomic weapons come into play Almost certainly, yes uh, There has to be a decision Okay, do we use this against Japan Or do we pick a city in Germany To do this to instead uh, again, Or one of each Yeah um, So, I mean, Germany is yeah, We're talking about the, their capabilities here To repel the invasion and, and what happens But they're still in a rough shape They are They still don't control their own skies um, They are being pummeled by the air and um, again Stalin is destroying the the cream of the professional oh, units. Yeah, by the Air time forty
2: four comes, the Russians have figured out how to do it and do it right.
0: Well, their T
1: thirty four tanks, uh, while they may not be as powerful as a uh, as the German tanks, there's so many more of them. Yeah. Uh, that sloped armor cannot you know, the which is a huge innovation which you know we think of it nowadays what's a big deal you know you put your armor at an angle why wouldn't you but that's not the way tanks were built then but that sloped armor and the thickness of it was a huge defense against the the panzers and and the the you know the cream of the german tanks they they had
0: mastered tank warfare and their artillery and their rockets the rockets yes were those are terrifying it's terrifying and they were good at using them yeah uh, you
1: know, they had the ability to, they may not, and this is very much a Soviet thing until the end. You know, what we lack in quality, we will make up for it in quantity. Because mm. they had the manpower and the resources to do that. And the will. and the, And more importantly, they had yeah. the will. So even if Hitler had been able to take, say, three quarters of what he had in France and turn it east presuming a failed Normandy invasion because you certainly at that point knowing they're not going to be able to do it for another couple of years or
0: yes you could
1: you could redeploy all of those troops and and tanks and and everything else you're going to slow Stalin down for sure but I don't know that you can fully yeah
0: it's making it yeah the idea would be to make it a lot bloodier slow Stalin down then open up the channels to the west and then what you know what 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 are Churchill and Roosevelt's response right
2: I think you hit it correctly that it delays things out but the atomic weapons would be used because yeah. Japan is still a threat yeah because uh, the war effort in the United States is still continuing oh yeah that's yeah. that's uh, it, there's that's not yeah. going to stop can
0: can can America give Britain enough backing to say don't don't give in yes we, we lost in the invasion we can't invade again for a while just hang on yeah yeah and you know keep the supply you'll keep the up.
1: air superiority by then the you know the, the battle of the atlantic is, is largely won there's not so right. keeping men and material coming is not a problem other than the political will
0: in the united yeah. states and then deciding okay what do we do are we going to try this again and how and right. who's going to be in charge of it Uh, Because he would be gone. Yeah, certainly Eisenhower would probably have been reassigned after a failed invasion, Yeah, which he Um, would have accepted. I mean, he knew that.
1: Um, You know, maybe Bradley. um, Certainly not Patton. uh, But, you know, perhaps Bradley would uh, then get the Supreme Command or not. God forbid they give it to Monty. I don't think anybody's (laughs) that dumb. I mean, not
0: that he's an incompetent general, but he has his flaws. Yeah. Um, But it's, um, you know... I think this is a good spot then To talk about some of those things That then followed up Because you bring up Bradley That's Operation Cobra mm-hmm. That's the breakout from the initial um, uh, Invasion on the peninsula Through that what they call the Bocage country With all the hedgerows and the pits And tr- mm-hmm. uh, ditches and all that um, And using Patton and the 3rd Army Then to sweep around uh, Operation Dragoon That's the invasion in southern France Off the Mediterranean coast to try to link up with the uh, invasion forces from Normandy, and then in September you get Market Garden, this idea of well we'll parachute across Holland and we can be in Germany and we can end this by Christmas. Yeah, and, yeah, well, a yeah, so disaster. Um, but once right, once there is a foothold, then it really is uh, a matter of ticking clock it's we're going to win yeah they didn't push us off the beach immediately well even if they we're gonna win you know but it's just how it much took longer? time to
1: get inland far enough to for that foothold to really be solid yeah so i mean there were still weeks In the early weeks of the invasion it wasn't just you know if you get through the first three days you're solid no there were first several weeks of the invasion where it could still have gone south and again the, the gasoline
0: shortage is is huge it is and it it makes where uh you've got to try to assign supplies a certain way eisenhower decides we're going to try to do broad front rather than these concentrate in one spot and try to drive through I don't want to isolate anybody because if they run out of gas, they're toast. Yeah, and again,
1: showing the difference in the Ameri- in the Allied point of view from the West as opposed to the the, the Russians in the East. Um, so yeah, it, it, that's a different way of executing the war, and both end up being successful. It's just you know, the, the the toll on the Soviets
2: is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't we the in the Americans. We, we understand the Western Front, we understand the Pacific pretty well. We're, we're, we're still, uh, our perspective is a little skewed from, a, from the way it should be because we're, we're learning. But the, the Eastern Front is largely skimmed over uh, in, right. in our society, uh, wrongly so. Uh, but, you know, if you were to go to Russia today, they, they could probably tell you all about the Battle of Stalingrad but could care less about what happened in the Pacific. You know, it's just. Right. Well, it's and just they probably don't
1: even thing. care that much about what happened in, in France because, again, yeah. we had nobody in Russia, they had nobody in the West. Sorry. So, you know, they were allies, but really they were more
2: yeah. well, there's
1: associated a, powers. Well, that's <laughs> in correct. That sense. Because
2: there's <laughs> still, I mean, you got to remember, you know, Napoleon's only 100 years in the past. Uh, Russians hate the French. Yes. Everything, that, that, uh, they, they whoop their ass pretty bad. Uh, at that time, and they've never gotten over that. Ironically, go back to War and Peace, which I've talked about before, uh, Russia was, before Napoleon, was very Francophile in many ways. Most of their aristocracy spoke French, as well as Russian. In fact, Russian was the peasant language. Uh, We're talking French otherwise. That all changed. Well, and uh, if I
1: remember correctly, one of uh, was it Catherine the Great? She's French, isn't That's
2: she? Little, yes, uh, uh, yes. But there's there's German there. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's, it's complicated. complicated. It's complicated. Yes. Kind of yeah. mostly
0: German, sort of kind yeah. of. That. Okay, I was thinking That's she was from correct. France. Yeah,
2: she she was not Russian. You're exactly right. Yeah, I knew she, she was brought Russian. in to to marry the czar, uh, who was a dick. Yes, uh, and he he gets. He gets, Russians often are. Well, he gets dead, and let's we'll just my God, how complicated can we be? We could do a whole episode. There's a HBO right. or a Netflix
1: mess. Netflix miniseries that oh, yes. was really good. Nicholas Holt played the Czar. That's correct. Yes, uh, he was really good. It was too. very
2: very well done. That's correct. And I
1: don't know if they're going to do another season, but and I can't remember the name of it. But
2: uh, I think it may be the Great. Uh, yes, That's, that's it. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I watched. I haven't finished it, but I watched part uh, it's, of it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I know it's off of our World War II topic. But, well, me, we do ourselves a disservice, <laughs> I think, by not learning Russian history as well as we could, because yeah. so much of it is very rich. They I mean, were yeah. so isolated
1: yeah. from the West well, that's, for so long. Well, I mean, and that's uh, they did a really good
2: miniseries back in I want to say the '80s or '90s called Peter the Great, which was fantastic on him. Uh, he uh, he more than anybody else modernized Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, that's what St. Petersburg. It's yeah. you know, it's it's about him.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you mentioned the Eastern Front. You know, to us, the Eastern Front—that's a joke from Hogan's Heroes. That was always the right. threat to Schultz. I'll send you to the Eastern Front, or, or to Klink. You know, that's General right. Barkhalter was always going to send them both to the Eastern Front. Uh, so we, we just see that as a comedy thing. But it
2: um, the, there yeah. was there's a reason why that was meant to be funny, though. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they, they chewed guys, guys up. Yeah, that's
0: right. So um, some books. Um, uh, before we get into the books yes. Oh, you want to take a break? Yeah, yes, well, we
1: haven't done our bourbon break. You know, we're not actually drinking bourbon, yes, because we are recording in the early morning and we are not day drinkers. I am so
0: excited to welcome the guys back to Studio M. That's right, we are in Studio M. Yes, we didn't yeah. even mention that earlier. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know it's very thrilling to have the guys back here at Studio M. Uh, we've got the bar ready to go, but it is early, so we haven't poured a bourbon yet. Um, but I do have a good story that I can sub for bourbon break. Oh, well, let's, like. hear it. let's hear okay, it. Okay, so Otterites, as you probably have read or hopefully have read on the on the blog uh, about Biscuit Belly mm. and our new our new catchphrase, would you like more gravy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, in explaining that to uh, Mrs. Martin, of course, that became kind of a gag for us here, and we work in the same building now uh mrs martin and I. Well, you kind of did before when you're working from home
1: right?
0: <laughs> so well, same room very <laughs> well put sir i like that we like sort that. of started using it as kind of a a convoluted way to say yes or or, or that's a good idea that kind of thing oh
1: i thought he was going to say it was their signal to go to the to the to the master bedroom
0: and 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 get busy uh, celebrate one's marital vows yes <laughs> Well, you know, it always could be. We—that's we, a recommended thing. Yes. But it uh, a little more mundane. You know, she would ask, "Do you want me to uh, order some sandwiches for lunch?" So I could reply, "Would you like gravy with that? Yeah, <laughs> <gonna start laughs> would you like some that. more gravy?" Yep. Uh, so that became yes. Well, Mrs. Martin and her genius then just pretty much shortened it to just the word gravy. So it became just a code word. So are you ready to? You know, are you ready to leave? It's time. It's time to go gravy. That means it's time for us to go get the car and get them. I'm home. So uh, I just, uh, I wanted to tell that little bit of a story that it, uh, Mrs. Martin turned it into just a code word. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, Fantastic. Just gravy. So we just, yes. we go, you know, are you ready to leave? Gravy. Ready to eat lunch? Gravy. Right. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've done the biscuit belly thing now twice. Um, uh, Francis and I, we uh, had breakfast this morning. We went to, as I call it, der Waffle House. <laughs>
2: A uh, German of yourself. Yeah, well, since we're doing Normandy
1: that you know right. today, um, but you know it's not biscuit belly, but it's still some good food. It's still good. It's still oh, a good indeed. breakfast yes,
2: there. Yes, yes, it had bacon, uh, and who doesn't love bacon? Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, the, the back to the the bourbon thing. So you've got old tub
0: and a new bottle of Woodford for us today. Yes, correct? I bought a bottle of Woodford. I got it on a on a deal at the uh, Kroger uh, spirit store or whatever they call it. Excellent, So, so we got Quarter Horse Reserve, we got Old Tub, and we got a brand new bottle of Woodford to crack.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, I observed to somebody, I forget who it was, if it was maybe here or, or maybe somewhere else, I don't recall. But I was talking about, you know, how do you, because we like to try new bourbons, right? And there are so many, you know, bourbon has exploded mm-hmm. uh, in, in a good way. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I have noted is that, you know, normally I'm wary of the packaging you know, buying something by the packaging. But I have come to find that for the most part, if you find a unique style of bottle, that bourbon is almost always worth a try because if they're putting the money into the bottling, they're probably putting the money into the bourbon as well because Mm -hmm. the, you know, that, uh, quarter horse reserve, you know, that's a square bottle, not the normal round one. Uh, the Woodford is a, uh, 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 sandwich bottles what i call it because it, you know <laughs> if you put it on its side it looks like a sandwich it's it's square and a little
2: thick interesting way of putting that sir um
1: you know that's uh, a different non-standard you know fifth of whiskey kind of bottle um and you know those are good quality bourbons uh so i find that an interesting thing i don't know if you guys have noticed this or or uh, come about it yeah
0: i hadn't thought of, uh, about it in that way uh but certainly they do try to get attention by the yes. bottle uh and you got to put money into that. You know, non-standard bottles are not cheap. And of course, you're hiring a design firm probably to yeah. to design that stuff. So. I
1: mean, you know, even some of the standard uh, uh, bottles, you know, fifth of whiskey kind of bottles that you know, we all are familiar with. Uh, sometimes you can get creative with that, like our Basil Hayden that we like so much. You know that's a little unique because you've got that paper strip mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, affixed to the bottle, which makes it stand out. Like
0: a little bit of a, what is it? It's got a copper band, I think, around it. Yeah, it? it does. Yes, indeed.
1: So you know that's a little bit interesting, and of course Basil Hayden is one of the the better bourbons that we've we've
2: tried. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, so I don't know I just thought I'd share that because I just found that an interesting correlation. It's not necessarily causation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, weird bottle does not necessarily mean good bourbon, but it, so far it's held fairly true.
2: Well, you have to give the impression of quality if you want sales to follow. Yes, in the, in this especially region. at the, in in the this $30, region.
0: 35 40 well, price point. For that's you. right.
2: You, you've got to give that. Now, uh, there's a presumption on the backside for repeat sales that it is quality, you know, that it lives up to the image. Mm-hmm. But let's face it, guys. As marketers, you know it's all about the marketing. You have got to market it right. Yes.
1: Well, and for those of us who are uh, bourbon aficionados, who doesn't like to have a good-looking bottle on their shelf?
2: That's right. You know. That's right.
1: Yeah. So there's there's something to that as well. Yeah. So
2: ask ask any any bar uh, bartender. Uh, sometimes the reason they display those bottles is because people don't really always know. They'll pick something based on what it looks like.
0: Yeah. Very true. Very true. Cool. Well, that was a good bourbon slash story break. Yep, gravy. <laughs> I mean, uh, gravy. <laughs> books. You
2: wanted to talk about books, so
0: yes, uh, I just pulled three off of my shelf that are related to uh, Normandy, the Normandy invasion. Uh, classic, "The Longest Day" by Cornelius Ryan, which the movie
2: was based on, if I recall yep. correctly. Yeah, that was an
0: excellent movie. I, yep. I I can't say enough
1: good things about that. that time yeah, John, we've John Wayne We talked about movie.
2: that before, but it's it really is a. Uh, a fantastically, it, it's it's accurate too. It's 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 pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. There are you
1: know, there's license in it, but it, it's always going to be the case. But yes, you can get a decent sense of uh,
2: of the reality of the reality.
1: Of you know, in a broad way. I mean, something like Saving Private Ryan is far more realistic. Uh, but it is yes. And it's also more of, focused on a small story. Well, but that landing though. Yeah. In Saving Private Ryan, people still
2: talk about the the beginnings of that movie even today. It has kind of Become the quintessential Normandy movie. Uh, kudos to Steven Spielberg for doing it as well as he did, because before that, it was the longest day. That was the Normandy movie yeah. for a Yeah, long time. and longest day. And it still holds up. Yeah, it, it, does. Up well. it does. And
0: it, it's focused a great deal too. Not just on the beach landings that we've right. talked about to a great deal, but on the paratroopers. Yes, which was a huge part of the invasion. That's dropping the paratroopers behind the lines. Yeah. To How do you secure take an enormously roads.
2: complex operation with hundreds of thousands of men and make it small enough for an audience to understand? Yeah. Duh! Of course you have to. You have to compartmentalize. Yeah, and, and the focus. Yeah, type. the
0: paratroop dropped, a lot of that stuff went really badly too. Right. Um, Troopers missed their drop zones. The units He's dropping in the dark. Yeah, He's and they wearing, were right, broken going up. Before dawn. Yeah. They 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 broken up hugely, but they just kind of went. Well, you know what? I found some elements in the 101st. I'm in the 82nd. So what? Let's go find some Germans to shoot. Right. And and just yeah. made it work. That's the flexibility. That's yeah. Correct. We and, recognize
2: and if you're wearing our uniform, we'll we'll take you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so that was that's again that that really neat idea of the American character of. Well, we got a job to do, and these aren't the guys I trained to do it with, but what the heck. They're still right. my bros. We're going to go do it. It's
1: hard to see the Germans having that kind of flexibility. Uh, yeah, a
0: paratrooper separated from his unit probably would have just sat there and yeah. waited for orders.
1: Maybe, maybe not, but, you know, the degree of flexibility would not be there. Because, yeah. you know, we, we we say this about that flexibility, and we talk about it, uh, uh, the, the Americans being so flexible and the Germans not. But when we talk about that flexibility, it's the men on the ground that are the ones that are flexible <laughs> yeah because they realize and again it's part of the American spirit. you know I'm the guy that's got his life on the line, not some general you know sitting over in England or still on the ship. So screw him,
2: I'm gonna save my own ass. Whereas in... And I'm also going to do my damn job.
1: And he's going to do his I'm job. I'm going to do my job without being told. That's right. right.
2: The, there's the, Whereas yeah. on the
1: German side, you know, by now you're scared to death to do anything that is outside of orders. Yeah. So while you're probably still going to have some pockets of those guys who, who are willing to take initiative, because, you know, certain death versus potential execution is still a good motivator <laughs> uh, in that sense. Uh, but yeah, that inflexibility is at the top and that
0: filters down. Yeah. Uh on the german side and then i also pulled of course our buddy john keegan that we discussed recently absolutely uh, an episode that uh, published a few weeks ago uh six armies in normandy also very very good uh discussion of of the invasion and this one isn't really maybe directly about the invasion but it's douglas brinkley's the boys of pont du hoc or oh yes that's one uh, I've
1: wanted to, to look at, but I've not. I don't have a copy myself. Right.
0: So this this talks about uh, Ronald Reagan's anniversary speech, where he focused his uh, opening on the Ranger Battalion that took the cliffs of Point du Hoc. Uh, there were supposed to be gun emplacements up there, and the guns had already been moved back, <laughs> and so they uh, scaled the cliffs under enormous small arms fire, and uh, got to the top. 200 men by the next day I think we' reduced to 90 uh, men that were combat combat effective uh, but they did find the guns eventually uh, behind the uh, emplacements and disabled them and took the cliff it's it's a really it's a really some kind of story yeah
1: yeah um, I don't think you can uh, when you talk about World War two books in uh, Normandy I don't think you can leave out Stephen Ambrose's books yeah uh, he, mm-hmm. he, he's a Very great good. author he's one of those guys that's uh can write for the popular market yet still be a good historian with it uh he's like a david mccullough in that way mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so uh, there, there are two and i'm now i'm blanking um one is i think d-day and then shoot what is that other one that's because i've got both copies at home and i'm now i'm blanking on the second one mm-hmm. um Oh, it's the one that the um, uh, the mini series was based on, the uh, Band of Brothers. That's Band the of one. Brothers. Band yes, oh, yes, of Brothers. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, Band of Brothers. Um,
2: yeah, which is a, which is really a, one of those essential. It's not just D Day though. It's it's right. the whole European. It D-Day. starts but with D Day. It's the,
0: it's the yeah. paratroopers. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, those paratroopers we were yeah. talking about. Yeah, so that's yeah, and Band of Brothers uh, as as a series,
1: well, that was like,
0: phenomenal. Yeah, just like Longest Day, the film, or or um, um, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, if you want to approach it from that direction, uh, from a media, instead of a no, uh, sorry, instead of a book, definitely worth diving into. Love Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, uh, our favorite, one of our favorite uh, fiction authors, Jeff Shara, has done a World War II series.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I don't know which book off the top of my head covers the Normandy invasion, because uh, mm-hmm. neither one of you. You have them yet? Or? No, no, I don't have that. I I've got, got them, a, but they're still a, on my to-read list. Yeah, I still oh, have, okay. just have a
0: handful of Shara's. Uh, so is really good
1: uh, at, what well, you were talking about Francis, uh, making something really big, understandable, because mm-hmm. he does what Longest Day did. Right. And That's what his father did, and that's where he learned it. He focuses on a small number of characters mm-hmm. from both sides and does the narrative from those points of view. And so it gives you both a personal... Uh, in to the story as well as being able to give you that overview
2: yeah well he he's wisely picks those characters yes. from from those who were at the pinch points at the interesting points uh, like Chamberlain on Little Round Top but that's one of his you know that's his father did it for the uh, you know the Killer Angels it's it's the same approach it, it lets you see good pieces of the larger picture at a small personal level right it's, it's, it's craft you know, it really he is a, he does yeah does a really good job
1: so yeah if you want a little bit of a fictionalized historical account that's that's another good place to because uh, it's very readable very readable
2: uh, and ambrose also did a book citizen soldiers which is yes. that's the one that that covers from d day through the battle of the bulge that's the that's one i was thinking really of. that's you could any of Stephen Ambrose's books, you can pick them up and enjoy them. They really yes. are very good. And he doesn't do just World War Two, by all means, mm-hmm. uh, but he's he's still one of the masters. No, he did an excellent book
1: on Lewis and Clark, uh, Undaunted Courage. Undaunted Courage, that's right. Yeah. That
2: might be his best-selling work. Uh, I be don't sure know. Band of one.
1: Brothers probably overtook that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: exactly. But the the miniseries didn't hurt, sir. Right, it's, <laughs> right. It still is one of the standards of yeah. of and. Credit to HBO for for doing that. Uh, at, at yeah, the age. companion
1: piece, uh, The Pacific, which I think was done by his son,
2: because uh,
1: it's not Stephen Ambrose. It's um, Michael.
2: Don't don't quote me on that. At yeah,
1: because uh, I want to say it's a different Ambrose, but I want to say it's it's his son. But I could be wrong about that. Because but the likelihood of two historians named Ambrose <laughs> uh, seems uh, yeah. Uh, well, remote. and
0: I think Douglas Brinkley, this the poi, the boys of point to hook. I think Brinkley is kind of a protege of Ambrose or is written you know, with Ambrose. So um, so that's, you know, uh, coming up on 48, 49 minutes and we really didn't even do a lot of detail about the actual battle. You can't. You, it's too, you way too can't, big. Uh, yeah. Uh, but just think about, you know, again, that first day between the paratroopers and the invasion force, uh, something like 1.6 or 160,000 men and by the end of August, 2 million men. Mm-hmm. Uh, launching Eisenhower's crusade, as he phrased it, to free a continent, and many
2: of those men
0: survived
2: and went forth back into. If you have anybody in your family or that or your community that experienced World War II in the East, in you know, in the, uh, the European front, anyway, they were very likely involved in that. I had a great uncle that was on the second day uh mm-hmm. that went in uh so it's it's personal to folks even yeah. for us generations later there's there's that connection as those as that generation slowly goes away there are very few of them left now. yeah
1: um us being generation x you know we are of the generation where either our parents were uh, such as myself because my uh, my parents are older than yours you know but uh uh, although your parents are might be close to my age, uh, my parents ten years younger. Ten years younger. Okay, I couldn't because my
0: parents were, were boomers,
1: actual
2: boomers. Actual. That's
1: right. That's right. That's what it was. Your uh, your dad is uh, yeah. clo- was closer to
2: my parents. Correct. Age. Yeah, Daddy was born thirty five. Uh, yeah,
1: he was ten years old
2: when the war ended. Right. So, uh,
1: but remembered a lot of it. Right. So, but we've got we are the last generation really that that can remember or knew somebody who actually fought. Uh, that is it's, correct it's, you know, as far as that personal connection know.
2: you know the next generation after us doesn't have that uh, personal connection right uh, it, it's 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 second hand at this point mm-hmm. yeah we were able to talk to those who experienced it well, you know
1: uh, in many ways that's you know we we have a similar uh, uh, slightly different uh, way we think about Vietnam. you know when I think about Vietnam, to me that that's a war in the past, but it happened while you know we were very young yeah. But, you know, my I don't really have a memory of the war because by the time, you know, that kind of stuff would have entered my consciousness, things were winding down. We were out before Mm -hmm. before we were 10. You know, they were out in 73 and totally out by 75. So, you know, you realize you're talking about Vietnam. That's less than 10 years prior to our graduation from high school. Sure. Which you think about that. That's kind of an astounding fact for it to not be in our consciousness uh, it, it, to su- be that
2: close. I suspect that it's more uh, a subconscious to us than we realize. I think you can't uh, have grown up during that environment and not be affected by it. Even no, no. We don't realize uh, it.
1: Yeah, but I mean, as far as a... a you know, this is a thing that is uh, contemporary mm-hmm. versus history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, because the, the way the war was perceived at home and how, you know, the reaction... That's just, you know, one thing that even... You, World War II is much more uh, uh, I think stayed in that con- uh, contemporary mindset than something like of v- uh, Vietnam because even though we were only 10 years past by high school um, it was no longer a contemporary event uh, at least not for me I mm-hmm. would presume similar for you guys uh, as far as you know being in a you know I didn't have I didn't know anybody that went to Vietnam I don't know about you guys uh, so you know maybe that has a lot to do with it too uh I
2: found out I got to know some later because they yes. were older than us. You know, right. they were they were kind of not our generation. They were the previous generation, sort of. Right, they were the baby boomers. Yeah, yeah. Boomers. exactly. They were yeah. you know the, they the were first aunt, the They growers. were uncles and things like yeah. that, yeah. Uh, or, or neighbors. Uh, we were just you know.
1: It also helps that something like this, World War II, we won. You know, you're much more likely to want to keep that into the consciousness, and I, it's you know. We like to celebrate our wins. That's especially the bigger wins. I think that's one of the reasons why you know something like World War II, Normandy, these things, they capture the imagination.
2: Well, there were also a lot more men under arms for True. World War II than there mm. were in Vietnam too. True. So that that has something to do. you couldn't you couldn't avoid that one. Yeah. Yes. If if you were of the right age, uh, it was unavoidable. Whereas in Vietnam. Not so much, and a lot of things happened. We'll talk about that. Well, we have talked being about a
1: that. conscientious objector would have been nearly unthinkable prior to the '60s.
2: Correct. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, I knew one. Uh, he actually uh, he was drafted and he served. He was a medic, uh, and that, that was what he went in. And he said
1: to me, "That's an honorable way to be your exactly conscientious right. objector because uh, uh, rather than fleeing to Canada."
2: Well, that's correct. That's how that's how he did it. And he was uh, he was very good. He even told me about it. I used to work with him. Uh, uh, Marion was his name, and he would. He said, "Yeah." They asked him, "Do you want to carry a gun?" He says, "Well, yeah. I'm going to be in country, right? Yes. Okay. I'll take a. I'll take a sidearm." And they called him Doc because that's what he was. Right. He was a medic, and he was he actually saw combat, mm-hmm. uh, but he was a conscientious objector.
1: Just goes to show you, there are no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> <laughs> Even a conscientious conscientious objector will defend will want to defend himself. That's
2: exactly yes. it. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: So. uh you know, Link said we did big just, rabbit hole there. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even really hit a ton of details on the Battle uh, of Normandy. Right, but, we didn't even
1: hit the personalities like we normally yeah, do. Uh, too just, just yeah, too
0: Just too big, too big a thing. We we did. We mentioned just a little bit about Bradley and Patton, and of course Eisenhower and overall command. We talked a little bit about uh, Montgomery. He has a large command under. Uh, Eisenhower for for this right. Well, he's really the uh,
1: in-country commander. Yeah, from, on ground, on ground. Yeah, yeah. He's the ground um, commander as, as Eisenhower's commander of the entire yeah, operation, which is really like, a sop to the Brits. Yeah, because we provided the the majority of the men and material. So especially but, the material. Yeah, the
0: landing craft, which is and why.
1: Eisenhower is the supreme commander, but you you know you got to throw the Brits a bone. They've been fighting Hitler for five years. That's right.
2: Yeah, and you know Montgomery, (laughs) as prickly as he was, he was he did know his job. He did know how to do what he needed to do.
0: So, victory in Normandy. Again, we uh, one just hit these two. As we talked about a lot of these, they weren't really the Germans weren't ready. The Operation Fortitude deceptions worked. Um. The air superiority again. The Germans couldn't harass the landing fleet, the transports. They couldn't observe the marshaling areas in Britain. Um, the French resistance and the Allied bombing campaigns in France were fairly effective uh, at disrupting the transport uh, network, mm-hmm. La- uh, the, La- the La- rail La- networks. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The intelligence provided by the French
1: underground. Uh, shouldn't be underestimated either. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've I've said that several times, but there, but it just goes to show there are so many pieces that went into this invasion that didn't necessarily have to go perfectly, but were so important to the ultimate success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that's one of them. Uh, air superiority is you know having all of the men and material, the faking out of of uh, where the landing, I mean,
0: so many things that went into this, and then. The mess that was the German High Command, the command structure, the whole—well, I guess we better wake Hitler and ask him about the Panzers. Nope, not doing it. <laughs> you know that it was that was a part of this that that made it work. And uh, again, they got—they didn't reach all the objectives as planned, but within two days, three days, they're starting to take them. They're they're there. They are now in Europe. The Second Front is real. It's time to start squeezing the Germans in the vice. One of the things that, um,
1: you know, first, this is probably the largest undertaking, uh, with the possible exception of the German invasion of the Soviets. Cause I'm not, I don't have the details yeah. on, on...
0: It's the largest amphibious operation yes, in military history. Amphibious, definitely. Yes. Uh, it may not
1: yet, at this point, it may not be the largest military operation in history because again the German thrust into the Soviet Union might be uh, considered bigger depending on how that is looked at because there were mm-hmm. multiple Yep. but you could make that case but certainly from the Allied side it's the it's the largest military operation certainly the largest military operation that the US had participated in short of the Gulf War I think the Gulf War surpassed it mainly because we we had more men more of the army that was in the Gulf was us So manpower-wise, it was certainly... as a percentage
0: of the manpower involved, yes. Uh,
1: Certainly less material, although we had farther to go to get them there. Uh, But it was also planned faster. But again,
0: we had the computers. We had Excel to help us out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, And and very large air transport is a revolution uh, in in military affairs. That's a whole other rabbit hole to jump down, uh, loading up a... You know what is it? A C seventeen Galaxy and oh, a C5. C five, a C five Galaxy. Yes, yeah. a C five Galaxy and taking it to Kuwait and aerial refueling it along the way is right. is something unimaginable to somebody like Eisenhower. It's just right. He would have he would have been salivating at the thought. <laughs> yeah, that, I can do what? That's like, would you like some more gravy with that? <laughs> That is definitely gravy. The, the, yeah. The C5 Galaxy is definitely gravy. Wow. All right. Well, guys, that's pretty good. We're uh, I think we're ready to wrap it up. Francis, buddy, what is next time? Code of Honor, gentlemen. You know who knows where we'll go. Mm-hmm. Who knows the
2: things we'll say? Only All, the shadow knows. Only the shadow knows that he ain't talking. It's gonna be fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, boys. Uh, we 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 always rise to the occasion with Code of Honor. So make sure you're here. Uh, Was your... that his sexual second
1: sexual innuendo of
2: the the? Of the... I didn't intend. To no, okay. it. I don't <laughs> think. <I'm> I right <laughs> <off>. oh, don't at <laughs> Skip a bit, brother. Uh, join us next time. You're gonna love it.
0: Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes published every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a
1: comment
2: or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.